You are now listening to Theology Applied, a podcast of Eternal City Church, where theology walks the pavement. Today, it's just me on the podcast, and I'll be talking about epistemology, specifically biblical epistemology, and presuppositions. I try to make what can be a very deep and confusing subject simple and easy to understand. My hope is that you will be more encouraged about your trust and faith in the Bible. Friends, welcome to Theology Applied. Uh, I am excited today to talk about epistemology. Epistemology comes from the philosophy realm, and the dictionary definition is the theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope. Epistemology is the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. In other words, what is objective and what is subjective, and how do we justify what is objective versus subjective? Epistemology, you could simply say, is the how do we know what we know? It's the question, well, how do you know that's true? The job of the teacher, uh, which I'm assuming that role today, is to take complexity and simplify it and make it understandable. So we're going to talk about epistemology today, uh, but we're going to talk about biblical epistemology, biblical epistemology. So we're dealing also with the realm of presuppositions. What is a presupposition? A foundational belief that other beliefs are built upon, uh, something at the bottom, which then other arguments are built on top of. Everybody has presuppositions, including Christians. Christians have presuppositions. I'm going to read a little excerpt from John Frame's Systematic Theology, which is so helpful. John says, In what way can we justify our own bias? Our presupposition. How do we justify belief in the Bible as our presupposition? Strange as it may sound, by the Bible itself. The Bible is our highest standard of truth the ultimate criterion. But an ultimate criterion must justify itself. It would be contradictory to try to justify an ultimate by appealing to something supposedly higher. In other words, if you have an ultimate standard of truth, anything that you would try to justify its truthfulness by would then become higher than it in authority. So an ultimate standard must justify itself by definition. John continues, but someone will now object, isn't this a circular argument? We prove scripture on the basis of the presupposition of scripture. We appeal to scripture to prove scripture, circular. But if this is a problem for Christian thought, it is equally a problem for non-Christian thought. All systems of thought are circular in a sense when they seek to defend their ultimate criterion of truth. If I challenge a rationalist for accepting human reason as his highest principle, he can defend his view in only one way, by appealing to reason. For him, there is nothing higher than reason to which he may appeal in justifying reason. If there were, he would not be a rationalist, but an advocate of that higher than reason standard. Similarly, an empiricist must ultimately appeal to sense experience a subjectivist to his subjectivity, a Hegelian to his dialectic, a Muslim to his Quran, and a mystic to his mystical experience. 
In other words, if you have an ultimate standard of truth, anytime you try to seek something higher than it to validate its truthfulness, then that no longer becomes the highest standard of truth. Whatever you're appealing to to prove it becomes now the highest standard. I could give you an example uh, with the Bible. So let's say that we are seeking to prove that the Bible is true, the New Testament specifically. And we appeal to archaeology and say we found a coin with Caesar Augustus and it was in the exact location that Luke recorded it when uh, Luke records that Caesar Augustus took a census of the whole world. And so we have the coin, we have, um, we have ancient artifacts that have Caesar's name, just as the Bible said it. And we said, see, this archaeology, these finds here prove that the Bible is true. What we are saying then is that the archaeology is a higher standard than the Bible, and the archaeology gives the Bible its validity. What is better to say is that the Bible claims truthfulness, and then we find evidence that will simply back up, if you will, confirm the Bible's truthfulness. There's a difference between proving its truthfulness and confirming its truthfulness. I'll give you another example. Let's say that you were called to court to testify to something that you've seen, something that you've heard. You are a witness. Now, you begin to give your testimony. You tell what you've seen, what you've heard, and what uh, is said, no one believes. All the people in the courtroom think that your testimony is ridiculous. But then other witnesses are brought up and they begin to confirm that what you say is true. Evidence is brought out and it also confirms that what you said is true. Was it the other witnesses and the evidence that made what you said true? Or was it what you said was true all along and then the evidence and the other witnesses simply confirmed the truthfulness? So in the same way, the Bible claims for itself ultimate authority. There is a circularity to it. However, when we look to archaeology or prophecy or the consistency of Scripture itself, we must not appeal to these elements to prove the Bible's truthfulness. What we must say is simply that these other outside evidences confirm the truthfulness of what the Bible already teaches. And so it makes the argument more persuasive, but it doesn't make it true. And so for Christians, we must only appeal to the Bible as the highest court of authority. Uh, Barry Cooper, in his helpful little book, Can I Really Trust the Bible, has a, a, a helpful paragraph on this. So let me read from Barry Cooper's book. When I say the Bible says that the Bible is trustworthy, someone might object. That's a circular argument. Okay, I say, what do you think? Well, they begin, from a rational point of view, wait, why should we see things from a rational point of view? Well, because it's rational. And at that point, my friend reveals her own circularity. In a sense, she is opening up her own Bible, one marked rationalism. She's saying we should believe rationalism because rationalism says it's true. And for rationalism, you can substitute materialism or Islam or Mormonism or atheism or whatever. 
depending on which way you're inclined. When you think about it, it's impossible for us to avoid this kind of circularity in our arguments. We all appeal to authority of one kind or another, even when we don't realize it. Secondly, if I say the Bible is my highest authority because it can be proved rationally, the argument would be self-defeating. I'd be appealing to an authority other than the Bible, rationalism, implying that it, and not God's word, was the real measure of trustworthiness. That's why it's good to hear the claims the Bible makes about itself. We shouldn't reject them simply because the Bible makes them. In fact, if the Bible really is what it claims, it must be, to use an impressive sounding phrase, self-authenticating. Now let's, let's look at the Bible itself. Okay, so we've looked at John Frame, we've looked at Barry Cooper, we talked about epistemology and presuppositions. What does the Bible actually say? Well, here's one little portion in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. I'm going to read it and just give a simple definition and simple explanation as we go along. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, so Peter is now saying, we didn't come up with this testimony about Jesus. We didn't devise myths. We didn't creatively come up with these stories. No, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay, that's important. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, he's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. They saw Jesus' glory break out of his humanity. Moses and Elijah appear on his right and left. And they heard from the cloud that descended, the Father speaking, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is the event that Peter is referring to. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration. Now listen to what Peter does. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word, the Bible, the Old Testament, more fully confirmed. Wait a minute. More fully confirmed than what you saw with your own eyes? That's what Peter's saying. Okay, Peter, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what Peter's saying there is the prophetic word, the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, are a more sure foundation than Peter's own eyewitness testimony. I mean, that's pretty serious. And what he says here is no prophecy ever came from someone's own interpretation. Rather, men wrote and spoke by God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how men wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired them. He used their own skills. He used their own style. He used their own experiences, but he inspired them in their original writings, what's called the autograph. He inspired them to write his very words. 
And we now in 2021 have 66 books of authority by which no other standard can be brought to them to prove them as true. They are the highest standard. So for us as Christians, and I'm speaking here from a a presupposition as a Christian, the Bible being the standard for how we see all reality. Now we're talking about a way in which to view the world. We can view the world or have a worldview from the lens of scripture. Imagine you wear sunglasses in the summer when it's sunny, or perhaps you have a prescription and so you wear glasses. And these glasses are the lens by which you're seeing all other things. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory has has a helpful little sentence here. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. I want to take that sentence from Lewis and and add a little bit to it. So imagine our star, the sun. I not only believe in the sun because I see its light, but rather by its light, I see everything else. In the same way, I don't believe the Bible because in it I see truth, but rather by its truth, I see everything else. The Bible is the lens through which I see all reality, and it has a compelling view of the world. How did we get here? Why are we here? What's wrong with the world? What happens after we die? Who is God? What is his name? How can we be be made right with him? The deepest questions about reality are answered in those 66 books. And so for Christians, our presupposition, if you will, biblical epistemology must be that we have the Bible as our view of the world. It's our standard for truth. And so if there is another objection that comes in that contradicts whatever scripture says, we must reject that contradiction. Now, that brings up another question, whether your interpretation of the actual text of the scripture is right or not. Perhaps you have a wrong interpretation and you need to rethink, re-examine, and, and come up with a better interpretation. Interpretation is, is a difficult thing at times with certain texts. And so we don't want to always imagine that the way we're seeing a text is exactly what it means. What we're saying is that when the Bible says what God said through its original writing, that is the standard of truth. And eventually, the truth, the evidence will confirm the Bible's uh, truthfulness in all that it says. And so, quick short video here on biblical epistemology, worldview, presuppositions. Christian, you need to get to know your Bible well. Read it often, study it. The resources are innumerable. We live in the greatest time in human history for resources on how to understand the Bible. Your local church uh, should be, I pray, helping you to understand the Bible, helping you to take that text and make relevant application to your life. And most of all, I pray that the interpretive grid is the gospel by which you're reading the Bible. You're not reading it as a system of, I should do this and I shouldn't do this. And if I do the right, God will accept me. And if I do the wrong, he won't accept me. Rather, you should be reading all 66 books with a Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection lens on. And the whole of the scriptures points to Jesus and his person and work. 
He is what the whole Bible is about. In fact, he himself said this in John 5. He says to uh, a crowd of his opponents, you diligently search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these very scriptures speak of me. And so Jesus himself says that the whole Bible is about him, all 66 books. So I appreciate you visiting today uh, for Theology Applied. Uh, Stay tuned for more to come. Glad you watched.